0: Good morning. Welcome home. Welcome to Pitnaz. It is good to see all of you today. If you're if you're visiting for the first time today, or if you're not visiting, you just you just haven't been here in a while. Our lead pastor Kyle, he he just finished the first week of a seven or of a, yeah seven week sabbatical. He'll be back with us at the end of July. So be in prayer for him and his family uh, during this time. But uh, I also want to mention um, Steve. Steve talked about camp in our. Um, in the announcements, the good news is we're almost halfway to raising the funds that we need to send our kids and our teens to camp. The bad news is, camp starts tomorrow. So our first wave, there's three waves of team camp, and the first wave starts tomorrow. So if you've been thinking about giving or praying about giving and you thought you probably would, but just for whatever reason haven't gotten around to it, today would be an awesome day for you to do that. Just place it in the offering boxes on the side, or you can go online to pitnaz.church even later today and give that way. But please continue to think about that and pray about that uh, so we can get those kids to, to camp. In fact, if you're, if, if, is anybody in here who's going to, to any session of teen camp, either a teen or a worker? Would you stand if you are, if you're going to teen camp? we have anybody in this service? Teen, worker? A couple. All right, reluctantly standing. All right, well, let's pray. I want to pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that these teens and these workers have to just go experience your presence at Camp Table Rock. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just descend upon that camp and and descend upon hearts, God. I pray that that um, I pray that hearts and lives would be changed through Your Holy Spirit through all three sessions of camp. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for providing in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, today we're starting a, a new series. It's called Messy Family: Finding God's Best in Our Dysfunctional Mess. Um, I don't care how good your family is. There is some level of dysfunction in every family, and and by dysfunction, all we mean, all we mean is this: it's it's when dysfunction is when something doesn't function the way it was intended to. And so, as long as families are made of imperfect people. ...which your family is and my family is... ...as long as families are made of imperfect people... ...there will always be some level of dysfunction in our families. And I know obviously some some families are more dysfunctional than others... But uh, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, not my family. My family's perfect. Here's the thing. Some of us don't even realize the dysfunction in our families because we've just learned to sort of function dysfunctionally and we don't even realize that it's dysfunctional. Sometimes that's the case. Um, But understand that, that everybody has some level of dysfunction in their family. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God can bring hope and healing to even the messiest family. I don't care how messy things are in your household or in your extended family. I don't care how bad things look. I don't care who has done what. I don't care how messy it is. God is big enough to bring hope and healing to even the messiest situation. In fact, in this series, we're going to look at a, at a handful of families in Scripture that were a complete, utter, absolute mess But in every situation, we're also going to see the evidences of God's grace and God's hope and God's healing that was at work, even in the midst of that mess. So let's start, uh, let's kick this off with some pictures that sort of illustrate uh, family in all of its raging beauty, courtesy of the website awkwardfamilyphotos.com. Yeah, mom and baby are grinning ear to ear. Dad's sitting there going, I can't believe I agreed to this. Wherever you choose to draw the line, men, is up to you. I will not judge too much. (laughs) Poor grandma. (laughs) Really? (laughs) What did grandma do? All right, now what you have there, you have two brothers carrying guns and a brother carrying two little sweet little kittens. So what I see here is two future card-carrying members of the NRA and one future card-carrying member of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and I foresee some very difficult Thanksgiving dinners in the future for these three brothers. Anybody else creeped out by that picture? That's like the movie poster for the next Stephen King movie that's coming out. How about that? One big happy family. I guarantee you 20 seconds before that was taken, mom was saying, you're going to sit on the couch and we're going to have a family picture and you're going to enjoy it. And that's what they got. See, family can be beautiful, but family can also be downright ugly, can't it? Your family can provide the wind in your sails and it can feel like an anchor around your waist. Sometimes you feel like you can't hug your family tight enough, and other times you feel like you can't get far enough away from them. That's kind of life in this imperfect world that we live in. But here's the thing. In spite of all of their imperfections in this sinful, fallen world that we live in, we have to remember that families were created by God. The institution of family was created by God. In fact, it was, it was intended to be an institution that reflects the love and the heart and the character of And the nature of God. But obviously it didn't stay that way, did it? That's why we have this series called Messy Family. We know that sin entered the world and when that happened it corrupted everything that God created to be good. Including families. And it didn't take long for that sin to begin to affect the first family. And wow were they a mess you have a Bible or your Bible app, find Genesis chapter 3 and 4, the first book of the Bible. In the first five verses of chapter 3, we, we find this story. Eve, the first woman created, she's having this conversation with the serpent, who we generally understand to, to be Satan. And they're having this conversation where the serpent is trying to convince Eve to eat of the fruit that God told Adam and Eve not to eat. One commandment, don't eat fruit from that tree. Actually, two trees. Don't eat fruit. And so the serpent is, is having this conversation, trying to tempt Eve, trying to convince her to eat this fruit. And as you read through there, you can kind of skim through there right now. The, Adam doesn't seem to be anywhere in the picture. There's no mention of Adam in those first five verses. He doesn't take part in the conversation. And so you kind of get the idea that Adam is he's off somewhere petting the giraffes or something. I don't know. But then we get to verse 6 and it says this, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And with that one act of disobedience to God, sin entered the world. And as we'll see in a minute, immediately this, this distance begins to appear in Adam and Eve's marriage. And as you go through, some other things happen in chapter 3, which some of which we'll look at in a minute. But then you get to chapter 4 and you find that Adam and Eve had these two sons named Cain and Abel. Cain grew jealous of Abel. And it says, one day... Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Alright, so you think your family's a mess. Your family didn't usher sin into God's perfect world, and give all of humanity the very first premeditated murder, in all the history of the family. So there's that, alright? This family was a complete and utter mess. They ushered sin. God created everything to be perfect, everything to be good. He created marriage and family to be good. And they messed up all of it. You and I struggle today. You and I have to deal with sin in our own hearts and lives today because of what they did. They were a mess. So as we look at this messy first family... What can we learn? What are some principles we can learn from this couple and from this family? Well, the first principle is that the foundation of a healthy family is obedience to God. The root of all of this, the whole thing goes back to one question. Are they going to live as God wanted them to live and taught them to live? Or are they going to turn their back on God and go their own selfish way? It all boils down to that. And they chose to go their own selfish way. In fact, when you think about it, there's really only one reason that families or any other relationships struggle. In one way or another, it ultimately gets back to selfishness. You think about the three really big reasons that families crumble. Abuse, addiction, adultery. You think about other smaller things. You think about... Um, you know, just disagreements over money or things like that. You think about, you know, when we just, we refuse to give any ground, we refuse to try to understand where the other person is coming from. We refuse to to sort of yield our needs or wants or desires to, to the other person. It really just gets down to selfishness. It's selfishness. In fact, selfishness is the opposite of living in obedience to God. And when we stop living in obedience to God, when we start living selfishly, life tends to cave in around us eventually. Now, please understand me. I'm not saying that, well, if you just, if you just do what's right, if you just live right, then everything will be great, life will just be a bed of roses. That's not what I'm saying. We all know you can, you can live completely right, and bad things are still going to happen in life because that's the fallen world that we live in. So I'm not saying that. But if those things are going to happen... Anyway, if there are certain things that are coming in your life that are going to be difficult, no matter how you're living, then why make it even worse? Why bring even more calamity upon yourself or your family by turning your back on God and living in disobedience? The foundation of a healthy family is following God in loving, faith-filled obedience, which leads us to a very obvious action step. Commit yourself today to loving and following and obeying God. Commit your life to Him today. I I tell my wife and I, we tell our boys fairly often, you can't control what other people around you do. But you can control what you do. So, in your family, if there's a lot of, especially if there's a lot of dysfunction in your family, and, and if there are other people in your family who just aren't following God, you have no control over that. You can try to influence them, you can try to point them towards the love and the grace of God, but ultimately, you can't control that. What you can control is whether or not you are going to be committed to God, whether or not you are going to live in obedience to Him. So, make that commitment today to follow Him and to live for Him. And obey Him because that is the foundation of a healthy family. If we don't get that right, nothing else really matters. We have to get that right. So commit yourself to that today. Second principle we learn from this story is that wedges between us and God always lead to wedges between us and our loved ones. Distance between us and God always leads to distance between us and our loved ones. We see that in this story. Adam and Eve, they they eat this fruit, they disobey God. And it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid from Him. They used to have this close, intimate relationship with God. And now after their disobedience, they're hiding from God. There's a wedge that has developed Between them. Have you ever, uh, you ever done something wrong to somebody or hurt somebody? I know you have because we all have. But you ever, you ever hurt somebody or done something wrong, and then you you feel guilty about it, and there's this awkwardness. Next time you see them, and maybe you even try to avoid them. Maybe you see them on, maybe see them in Walmart, and you purposely go down another aisle. You ever? I won't ask for a show of hands. You ever done that before? Maybe maybe you circle the long way around the church foyer, or maybe you pretend like you didn't see them. Or if it's at home and it's somebody who lives under the same roof as you, maybe you maybe you hide your your face in your phone or a book or the TV because it feels awkward. The reason it feels awkward is shame. You feel shame because you know you messed up, you know you hurt that person. And that shame creates this awkwardness and it causes you to want to distance yourself from that person. Adam and Eve, that's exactly what Adam and Eve were experiencing in this passage. For the first time in all of human history, they were experiencing that awkwardness and that guilt of shame because they knew they messed up. And it created this distance between them and God as they went to run and hide from him. That act of disobedience placed a wedge or a distance between God and this couple. But then look what Adam says in verse 12. God begins to question them about this. And Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. See what Adam's doing there? In one sentence, he is blaming both God and Eve. I didn't ask for her, God. I didn't create her. You put her here, God. Remember that. You put her here and then she did this. This distance between this couple and God begins to manifest itself with distance, with a wedge between Adam and Eve. Suddenly he's not as fond of her as he was. Suddenly now he's blaming her for all of this. Because a wedge between us and God always leads to a wedge between us and the people we love. In fact, the Bible, the Bible only records three times that Adam speaks. The first time, he is so excited when he lays eyes on Eve. He is excited, man. He loves her. He is smitten with her. He is thanking God for her the first time he speaks. The second and third times that he speaks, we see this wedge between him and her. He's distancing himself from her. That woman over there, God, that you put here, over there, it's her fault. So our second action step should be pretty obvious too. Practice habits that are going to draw you closer to God, not push you farther away. Develop habits like being in the Word, being in the Bible. Habits like developing a prayer life. Habits like being involved in church and being involved in small groups. Being involved in serving, giving your time, your finances. Doing things, doing all these things that draw us closer to God and develop our relationship with God. Because as the distance between you and God grows, so is the distance going to grow between you and your loved ones. So draw closer to him. And and the flip side of that is, if there are habits in your life that are putting a wedge between you and God, then do what you have to do to get rid of those habits. Draw closer to God. Practice habits that will draw you closer to him. Well, our third principle is this. Refusing to take responsibility only makes things worse. Man, Adam Adam blames Eve and God. Eve blames the serpent. They're blaming everybody. They're blaming Trump and Obama. They're blaming Fox and CNN News. They're blaming everybody. Nobody steps up and says, I was wrong. I messed up. Folks, if you are if the dysfunction in your family or in your life or in your home or in your extended family, if that comes from any kind of ongoing conflict that you're a part of, one of the worst things you can do is keep blaming the other person for the whole thing. Take responsibility for your part. Own your part in it. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to this. I'm almost ready to say, in every ongoing conflict, both parties bear some responsibility. Here are the exceptions to that. And please hear me very closely. Abuse is an exception to that. If there's dysfunction in your family, or if if you're in some kind of conflict with somebody because of abuse that you have suffered at somebody else's hands, that is not your fault, and you do not have to take responsibility for that. If your dysfunction comes because maybe your parent left when you were a kid. That is not your fault. And you do not have to take responsibility for that. There are some exceptions. But aside from those exceptions, in almost every case, when there is ongoing conflict, both parties bear some responsibility. And both parties have something to apologize for. This past spring on Good Friday, I I preached about forgiveness. I preached about the importance of forgiving each other. And one of the things I said was that um, somebody has to be the first to apologize. And there are very few things that can sort of cool the fires of conflict quicker than somebody just owning their part and apologizing for it. And so that's what I talked about on Good Friday. Well, two days later on Easter Sunday... Uh, Sarah and the boys and I, I went went back home after church. We loaded up in the car and we started driving to Springfield to have uh, Easter lunch with Sarah's family. And so right before we left, and as we were getting in the car and leaving, Sarah and I kind of got into it a little bit. I know nobody else in this room ever, no other couples ever get into it, but occasionally Sarah and I get into it. And so we got into it a little bit, and we're we're driving in silence. We're both kind of fuming. And I just kind of felt like God was saying, You need to apologize. And I said, But God. (laughs) It's never good when you're having a conversation with God and you start off with, But God, okay? Don't ever do that. I said, But God. I know I'm right. Why do I need to apologize? Adam, you need to apologize. But God, Adam, you need to apologize. And then God, you know, God sometimes just doesn't pull any punches. Then God reminded me of what I had just preached less than 48 hours earlier. Adam, are you going to practice what you preach or not? Somebody has to be the first to apologize. That's what you told him, Adam. So finally, maybe 20 miles later, I apologized. (laughs) It was sincere. I apologized. And then Sarah apologized back for her part. And everything was fine. Here's the thing. Even when you think you're right. Even when you're partially right. Even if you are completely right. Which there's a good chance you're not. But even if you are. That doesn't mean you have nothing to apologize for. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is worth the price of admission today, all right? You can be right in your position, but wrong in how you express it. I like how Pastor Age put it between these services. You can be right in your position, but wrong in your posture. Even if you are completely 100% Right as rain in your position. If you express it in a way that brings about hurt in the other person, then you have something to apologize for. So apologize. Own it. Take responsibility. Stop blaming them. Don't blame God. Don't blame God for your actions and don't blame God for other people's actions. Own your part. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in any other relationship, own your part. It doesn't matter if the other person started it. it. Doesn't matter if you are 100% right. Especially if it's been going on for any length of time, you have said and done something along the way. That at best has not been helpful and at worst has been downright hurtful. So apologize. Look in the mirror. Ask God to show you your part and then own it. To own it just means to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I spoke to you this way. I'm sorry that I treated you this way. I'm sorry that I said that the way that I did. Or better yet, maybe even I was wrong and I'm sorry. And don't follow that up with excuses. Don't follow that up with but. I'm sorry that I talked to you that way, but you are just such an idiot. That's not an apology, okay? Own it without excuses. Commit yourself today to following, trusting, and obeying God. Practice habits that will draw you closer to God. And then look in the mirror and ask God to show you your part and own it. Own it. So before we close then, let me, I, want, I want to point out two really significant details in this story. Now, like we said, in the first five verses of chapter 3, Adam doesn't appear to be anywhere in the picture. He doesn't speak up. He doesn't say anything. He's probably he's, He must be off you know, petting the giraffes or whatever he's doing. That's kind of the feel that you get in those first five verses. But then verse 6, did you catch this when we read it the first time? Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Apparently, Adam was standing there the whole time. I don't know how many times I read that passage and even preached from that passage, and it wasn't until a few years ago somebody pointed that out to me. Adam was with her. But he remained silent. He said nothing. He was standing there the whole time that this temptation was going on. And he said nothing. And so then in verse 9, when God goes looking for them, they're hiding. They're trying to cover their shame with this, these, these fig leaves. And it says, the Lord God called to who? The man. He called to the man. Where are you? Now see, God knew what happened, All right, God wasn't searching for information here. God knew what happened. And when he went looking for them, it was the man that he called out for. In other words, Eve may have been the first one to eat the fruit, but Adam was the first one to be held responsible. Why is that? Because Adam had been created first. Adam knew about this commandment before Eve had ever been created. She, hadn't even, she wasn't even around yet when Adam learned, you know what, this is, I need to stay away from that tree. God, it, God, to, for me to obey God, I need to stay away from that tree. And then God created Eve. Adam already knew about it. And the first sign of temptation, instead of speaking up, Adam just shrunk back in silence. And he watched it all happen before participating himself. Men, do you want a healthy family? Then you lead the way in living a life of obedience to God. Too many men, too many husbands and dads, too many grandpas, just relegate that role to the woman in the family. Men, you want a healthy family. Lead the way in living a life of obedience to God. Men, do you want to prevent a wedge from coming between you and your family, between you and your loved ones? Then you lead the way in developing habits that will draw you closer to God. You lead the way, men, in in developing habits of being in the Word. You lead the way in developing a prayer life. You lead the way in being involved in church and small groups. You lead the way in doing things that will develop your relationship with God. Don't sit there and just depend on your wife. To do all that and think you're just going to follow along on her coattails. You lead the way. You want peace in your family, men? Then you lead the way in taking responsibility for your own actions, for your own failures, for your own sins, for your own mess-ups. You lead the way, men. Step up and lead the way. This family was a mess, weren't they? They were a mess. You want to know the silver lining in this, though? Where's the hope and the healing here? Where where are the elements of God's grace? Where are the signs of God's grace in this story? Here are three of them. Here are three fingerprints of God's grace that we see in this story. First of all, God seeks them out. Did you notice that? What did they do after their sin? They went and hid. They were hiding from God. God sought them out. I've preached preached messages before where I've said, you know what? God doesn't play hide and seek. And what I meant by that is that God doesn't hide himself. He doesn't hide what he wants from our lives. And he doesn't play this game with us and say, okay, see if you can figure it out. See if you can find me. God doesn't play that game. But here's the thing God does play hide and seek. He's just not the one hiding, He's the one seeking. We're the ones who hide. We hide behind our past. We hide behind pride. We hide behind our religiosity. We hide sometimes behind our church attendance or maybe our giving record. We hide. And instead of God saying, you know what, I'm done with you. Isn't that what you would have done to Adam and Eve? I'm pretty sure that's what I would have done. All right, I'm done with you. You're going to stab me in the back like that. I'm out of here. I'm walking the other direction, but God doesn't do that. God walks in their direction because he is seeking them out. We sang a song about that earlier. there's, There's no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down, goes through all of that. Coming after you. And if you're here today, maybe you're feeling some kind of shame over what you've done in the past, or maybe what you have going on in your life at the present. And there's a part of you that just kind of wants to hide from God. I want you to hear this morning that there's a God in heaven who created you and loves you and seeks after you. Not only does God seek them out, he opens communication with them. And he does that by asking questions. He asks this series of questions. And that's not, again, that's not because he's looking for information. That's not because... He he wants to find out more about what happened. God knew what happened. He's asking questions because he's trying to keep the, the lines of communication open with them. God still wants a relationship with them. Just like he wants a relationship with every person in this room and every person watching online. And so God begins to ask them questions because questions open up dialogue, questions open up communication, questions communicate. If I ask you a question, I am communicating to you that I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you're feeling. I want to know what you're going through and experiencing. And that's how communication happens and that's how relationships grow and develop. So here's another tip. If you're having having trouble in some kind of relationship, try this. Maybe stop making so many statements and start asking more questions. Because questions open up dialogue and communication. And that's how relationships are built. So God seeks this couple out. And then he opens the communication with them. But then, here's the third thing he does. He covers them. He covers them. Remember, they've made this feeble attempt when they were hiding they made this feeble attempt to to cover themselves with leaves with leaves look what we see in verse twenty one of chapter three it says the lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife there's something about that verse that blew my mind the first time I encountered this first time I read this or somebody said this. I don't even remember. Some people see in that verse a foreshadowing of the cross. Because an innocent creature had to give its life in order for Adam and Eve's shame to be covered. An innocent creature gave its life in order for their shame to be covered. What does that sound like? That sounds like the sinless Son of God who never committed any sin, the Bible said. Dying on a cross for your shame and my shame, to cover your sin and my sin, not just cover it, but to cleanse us and set us free from it. Even way back in Genesis 3, folks, God had a plan cover our sin and shame and to set us free to give us hope and healing and forgiveness and it's foreshadowed in that verse folks God wants to bring hope and healing to your situation and yes, you have a part to play in that. We all have a part to play in that. But we know that God's desire, he will do his part to bring about hope and healing. He's already done his part by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he will give us the strength to make difficult choices that we need to make. And he'll give us the wisdom we need to make, to make good decisions in regard to our families and our relationships. And if we'll let him, he'll give us the strength to forgive and to apologize. He will do his part. We just need to decide if we're willing to do ours. So will you commit today to following and trusting and obeying God? Will you commit today to practicing habits? In fact, just pick one habit. Will you commit today to pursuing one habit in your life that will draw you closer to God? Spending more time in the Bible, praying more, being more involved in church, whatever it is. Or will you commit to doing whatever you have to do to rid your life of a habit that you know is putting a wedge between you and God? Will you commit to that today? And will you commit to looking in the mirror and asking God to show you your part in any conflict that you may have in your life? commit to just owning that being the first person taking the first step saying I'm sorry will you commit to your part today would you stand with us as we continue to sing if you'd like to come forward this morning if you'd like to pray for your own marriage or your own family or a relationship that you're a part of maybe you know a family who's really struggling right now and you'd like to come pray for them we invite you to come and know that God is a God of hope. And he's a God of healing. And there is no situation, there is no mess that's too big for God to apply his grace and his forgiveness and his healing. Know that there's hope today. Without seeing and realizing and believing that you are bigger than any dysfunctional mess that we find ourselves in. So I pray for your healing. I pray that you give us the grace and the strength and the wisdom to do our part. And to trust you to bring about the healing that we know you want to bring to our lives and to our families and to our relationships. So God, we love you. We trust you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a blessed day.